following is a study of the book of Philippians. We thank you very much for participating with us as we go through these studies, and we hope that this proves to be very beneficial to you. We're continuing our study here in the book of Philippians, and we're still in chapter one, and we're reading what Paul has to say, considering how he approaches things. There are so many churches that are forced to face the reality of humanity and their leaders. And what Paul is telling us, he is telling us that we should put our confidence in God, not in men. There are pastors of large congregations that are recognized nationally and even globally that fall into immorality and bring disgrace to the church. And the news of these things travel very, very quickly. At best, when it's all said and done, these are men whose faith has faltered. Paul knew men were but dust, and he expressed confidence not in the men, but in God. And he said he was confident of this, that he who had begun this miraculous work, he will complete it. And his confidence was not in the man within whom God is working, but it was in the God who is working within the man. And he was fully aware that God was doing things that he could not see, just as he was sure that God was working in his life and his circumstances as well. This strikes bad attitudes within the church, and studies have been done repeatedly that show bad attitudes towards fellow Christians is one of the major causes for church splits, great divisions within the ranks of Christianity. We separate ourselves from others who confess Christ because we believe they are on the wrong track, and we, of course, are on the right track. I can see many who are listening or reading this shaking their heads in agreement and justifying the walls of separation due to doctrinal issues and personality issues. Billy drank a beer and I saw him doing it. He cannot be saved. Did you see what Mary wore to Sunday school? Unbelievable. And she's teaching our children? John said he voted for Senator McIntosh. Can you believe that? It's always his way or the highway, isn't it? You know what, that pastor sounds like a Calvinist. Or what version of the Bible is he reading from? We're looking at people, and we're thinking they should know better. We're thinking they should do better, and they should follow the Scriptures like we are. Christians often do not have sterling testimony. Some struggle, others don't. With some, it's obvious, and with others, you would think they never had a day of worry in their lives. We look on the outside, and we judge, and really, we can only judge by what we see. And so often, what we think and see does not coincide with what is taught in Scripture. So we judge accordingly, and we feel that our judgment is right. But this is actually discernment, isn't it? The Bible tells us we should leave the eternal judgment with God. Look at the profession a Christian makes, and be confident of this, that God the one who called them to salvation, is fully able to complete the work that he has begun in them. And it may not be at your pace, and it may not be done in the way that you think it should be done. Well, what should I do? Well, 
Love the person, not the performance. And you know what? Love is a learned response. It is not an emotional, soft and puffy feeling. Watch a swan as it swims across a pond. It looks very graceful and peaceful. You see what you see. But what you do not see is the incredible work that is being done underwater. His feet are pedaling wildly and constantly. You see an elegant, peaceful swan gliding along effortlessly. The swan sees you and actually is scared to death. People learn how to conceal their worries and they learn how to manage their fears. We see a man dressed in a nice suit with a pretty tie, but we don't see the fear that lies beneath the surface. We don't see the lack of confidence and the doubt. We see what they want us to see, not what really is. But God sees beyond all that. He doesn't see as humans see. Humans look at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks deep within the heart. We need to learn to let God be God. And we're prone to fall into the trap of trying to play God. Believe me. This is why our minds must be transformed and renewed. And this comes as we study God's precepts and we learn and practice his principles. And we pray, 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 and then pray again. We need to recognize just who we are and who God is. And this is the work of sanctification. There is a secret of spiritual fruit that we need to learn. My mother, years ago, planted an apple tree in her backyard. Presently, she's 88 years old, a widower, living alone in rural Mississippi. She's barely able to move around independently. She, she manages to see this tree she planted years ago on a daily basis. And she's incredibly proud of it. She planted it in order for it to provide her with apples, and the tree has responded for years, providing her with an ample annual supply of green apples. God has called us and planted us exactly where he wants us to be planted for the same reason. We're not called into his kingdom simply to have a hope of divine destination and a forgiveness of sin. He called us to be conformed to the image of his dear son, he desires to see the character of Christ reproduced in us right here where we are. We're to do good work so that he, Jesus Christ, may be glorified and that many might come to know him. But we have to ask, what are these good works? It's a fair question. Ephesians 2.10 says that we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus unto good work, which God hath prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So we read this and we all nod in agreement, not taking time to let it really sink in. We want to move quickly and point to our favorite verse, so we move on to Ephesians 2, 8, 9. We've been saved by grace, you see, and that not by works. We like that. We like the whole entire concept of that. We've been saved. Amen? Saved. Saved for what? We typically ask, saved from what? The grace God provides prepares us for a work that he has prepared beforehand for us to do. Soldiers are prepared for battle, farmers for the field, and laborers for the task to which the master assigns them. We're not saved to simply go through life, live, and die. We're saved to serve. Now, we're not saved because of, but for a reason. 
This is what Paul is clearly stating here in Ephesians. The Catholic teaching says that we must add our good works to Christ's work on the cross. Faith is definitely a part of salvation, they tell us. It is necessary, but there is quite a bit more that we must both understand and do in order to truly be saved. In their teaching, an individual must have faith. The individual must be baptized in the Trinitarian formula, the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And he must be infused with additional grace by observing the sacraments. And he must not die with any unconfessed mortal sins. Now, if all this is done properly, then heaven opens its gates and the individual is welcomed in. However, should this work not be complete, further cleansing is provided in purgatory. Now, it doesn't matter that none of this is found in Scripture, but it is a teaching of the Catholic Church. Now, the Catholics vehemently deny that they teach a salvation by works, and they cannot understand why or how we arrive at this conclusion. Now, I'm not against a Catholic individual. I am against the teachings that are taught in that organization. Paul is not teaching the Ephesians here that we're saved by faith and observance and continual confession and baptism. He's not showing us that we are saved by grace through faith and other things. This is not what Paul is saying here. Grace comes through the work of Christ, not through my merit and my ability. The good works you do are not pulled up and then measured out in the end in order to see if you gained eternal life. Jesus Christ is our redemption, period. Let the man who boasts boast in the Lord. Faith, saving faith, is not simply belief in the facts regarding the gospel. This is where so many churches begin playing with men. They teach nonsensical things. You pray to prayer, asking Jesus in your heart, so therefore, your eternal destiny is sealed and all sins are forgiven. You're a saint now. Why? Because you prayed and asked Jesus into your heart. A year later, you're offended or confronted with another teaching. So you renounce what you once believed and embrace this new teaching, even though it denies Christ and biblical principles. Now this is nonsense and foolishness. Paul is attacking seriously attacking the pharisaical teaching that you have said certain words, perform certain deeds, wear certain garments, and go certain places, and therefore you have gained merit with God. He, he clears all this up. He says, you and me and the rest of us, all of us have sinned. And no matter what you do, no matter what you say, no matter where you go or what you wear, you have sinned. And only perfection will earn merit. And my friend, you're not perfect, nor am I. Christ alone is perfect. Behold the Lamb of God. So we have to divorce ourselves from any idea or false concept that we must perform in order to earn applause from God. This will never happen. God alone is behind salvation. You have nothing to do with it. Now, that sounds extreme, doesn't it? But answer this before you start jumping into your mental arguments. Can a dead man respond to anything anybody does? What can a dead man contribute to anything? 
Apart from the life of Christ abiding within us, we are dead in our trespasses and sin. I spoke with a fellow years ago regarding this concept, and I asked him, if God was somehow giving us life and animating us to a certain point to where we're made alive in order to make a choice, and then we make a choice, and if we make the wrong choice, then we're put back to death again. This is what this guy confessed to believing. Does that make sense? Can you find that anywhere in Scripture? All this is said to clarify this point. We're saved for good works that God has determined beforehand, not because of good works we had done or can do. We're dead. Good works are the fruit of salvation. These two views are eternally different in their positions. And you can tell a tree by the fruit it bears. That's true. But the tree does not exist because of the fruit. The fruit comes as a result of the tree. Paul tells Titus that there are false teachers who are actually detestable and disobedient and worthless for any good deed. They profess to know God, but by their deeds, they deny him. Your work declares what you believe. I, I believe that. And your work comes as a result of what you believe. I believe that. God's grace teaches us that we are to deny ungodliness and worldly desires. Yet these false teachers actually continue to embrace their godless ways and their ideas. Christ gave himself to redeem us from every lawless deed and to purify for himself a people who are zealous for good deeds. Good works? What are they? Well, what they are not is easy to declare. Lying, cheating, stealing unfaithfulness to your spouse, cursing, forsaking the assembly of the saints, and a failure to love your brother. These are not good works. So we can easily say that the converse of these things are good works. Truth, obedience, gathering with the saints, giving instead of stealing. It's not something that comes natural to any man. Humility, loving unselfishly, giving without reserve, obeying the commands of God. The entire bent of our lives should be lived Godward in order to please Him. Subjective works, such as what profession I should enter, or where I should live, whom I should marry, what color of shoes should I buy, these are issues that you take up with God on your knees. You pray to Him in the, the privacy of your home, and He'll guide you in these areas just as He does in every other area. You know, there are some men who are doctors. So, should we all be doctors? No. Some men are garbage collectors. So, should we all be garbage collectors? Or is that too low? If we concentrate on the objective, on the objective truths of God's Word, and we please God in what we say, how we think, in our obedience, He will direct us in these subjective issues into the works that He has determined beforehand. Do the good works you know to do, and the rest will follow. For it is Christ who began this good work within you, who will complete it. You follow on to know him, and he will not hide these truths from anyone who's seeking to know the truth.
We thank you very much for following along in our study on Philippians, and we hope that you continue as we continue with the study here. You are well appreciated, and we hope that this has been of great benefit to you. Thank you very much.